Hey, hey, friends, I'm Thea Charles, and you are listening to the Push or Pivot podcast. In this series, we discuss the path someone chooses when they are at a crossroads of their life. Do they push through the adversity, or do they stop, reassess, and pivot? In this episode, we spoke to Marissa Medden, a digital nomad who told us about her journey to becoming a life coach and medium. Hello, Marissa. How are you today? I am good, Thea. How are you? Very good in our new, like, new normal of being in the house. Still good. (laughs) Quarantine time. It's different and interesting. (laughs) It is. It is. And, um... I'm excited to hear about your story and all the places you've been. And I think the best place to start is for you to just tell us all a little bit about yourself. Yeah, definitely. Um, So feel free to prod or push if you want more information about anywhere. But my name is Marissa. I am a medium and I'm also a um, intuitive life coach and I travel the world full time. Um, I was just like, yeah, I am back in Atlanta, Georgia, which is my hometown. Um, I'm here sitting out the coronavirus quarantine um, as all kind of travel was craziness. But yeah, typically I am living in a different country uh, every single month working remotely in the world. And um, I yeah came from a pretty traditional background. I went to the University of Michigan. I studied business. I love the business side of everything. Uh, worked for Pepsi and marketing, so the beverage company for about six years in New York and LA before pivoting and changing my life and flipping it upside down. So I love to share the story of, you know, going from traditional corporate marketing to lots of weird, crazy, fun stuff that I'm doing all over the world now. That is awesome. How, how did you go from being in this traditional workspace to travel? Yeah. So there's um, a couple kind of pivotal moments that led to that. When I look back at my own story of, of pivoting, Um, The first one was, uh, so I was living in New York at the time, I was commuting, uh, I was living in Manhattan, commuting like an hour and a half each way, and I was ready to leave New York. And uh, my boyfriend at the time took a job in LA, and I said, you know, if you accept it, I will go with you. And so when it it happened very quickly, and I was able to arrange with Pepsi to work remotely from LA. So that was the first kind of step that I took where I realized, okay, I don't have to go into an office every day. And I met my computer, you know, I was home in LA, but I was at a computer doing work. Um, and that was kind of life-changing for me. I realized I, was like, I don't like being in an office. I love being able to work from home. So that was the start. Um, while I was there, I read, I was on vacation in Hawaii and read The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. So a lot of um, people who I call digital nomads, that's what I am, where we work remotely and live wherever in the world. Um, have, have read this book and it changed their lives. And for me, I remember reading that in 2014. So it was many years ago now thinking there's a different way to live. So the whole premise of the book is that you can work from a laptop from anywhere in the world and work fewer hours and automate a lot of things. And it really changed the way I started thinking But it wasn't until 2016, two years after I read that book, you know, with, with all of this in mind, mm-hmm that I actually quit my job. Um, as I read the book, I, I realized I would love to be living this lifestyle. Um, I loved to travel and I had about two or three weeks of vacation every year, you know, in the corporate world. And it just wasn't enough time to see all the places that I wanted to get to. And that was really my goal. So in 2016, I, um, I left the relationship I was in. I was actually engaged at that time. I left LA, moved back to Atlanta to start a business that ultimately would be remote where I could travel the world. And yeah, I quit my job and 
and started my first business because it, it just was one of those times where I was restarting something and I thought mm-hmm. everything must change. And that's yeah. kind of how it all began. Oh, cool. Yeah. Just like you just like rebirthed yourself. Yes. Yeah. I remember uh, talking to my mom during this time when I had, I left my relationship and left my, my home and everything in LA and come back to Atlanta, which, which is my hometown. But she said, just keep your job. Like just keep one thing the same. And um, I just remember at that time it was like, this isn't right either. And it was, it was a time where it's like, you know, you push yourself so far doing things that it was almost, you know, I enjoyed, I was very happy. I enjoyed a lot of my life, but um, it just wasn't right. You know, it was a wonderful company and all of that, but it wasn't, I didn't love brand marketing. I didn't, um, you know, I don't drink much soda, you know, the, the products didn't work with me. So, you know, it was an awesome company and wonderful coworkers. But again, it was just one of those moments for like rebirthing, like you said, where it feels like an awakening where everything had to be, you know, built from the ground up again. Wow. That's yeah. That's, I, I have to even just acknowledge you for that. Just seeing that where you weren't feeling aligned, that you weren't drinking soda. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I was like, why am I marketing this to other people? And um, power to, you know, I think it brings joy to a lot of people. I've got nothing against it. But yeah, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't what, um, you know, brought me joy when I was excited to, you know, talk about and, and do all day. So yeah. So what was the business that you built? Yeah. So the first one, um, about four businesses into at this point. So a lot of pivots for me. It's one of my favorite conversations to talk about and help people to say, you know, do whatever is that next best thing you can think of Mm because you're going to be exposed to new things along the way. But the first one I started was actually an e-commerce bakery business, uh, which seems so random, but uh, my mother had owned four dessert-only restaurants in Atlanta when I was growing up. She did it with her best friend for about 20 years and closed it uh, back in 1996, I believe it was. Um, I used to know this, but yes, it had been closed for about 20 years when I restarted her business. And because I was thinking of that four-hour workweek style, um, I didn't open any restaurants like she did. And I had a very business mind. And I thought back to my college years of operations, and I thought, yep. okay, if I make one product, I can have one packaging, and I know it ships well and sells well. Mm-hmm. So it was her secret kind of recipe that I created. People were obsessed with it. Had a, the reason I did it was it had a built-in demand and a built-in story. And it was the only thing, you know, when I thought about that four-hour work week, I didn't know what I, what I wanted to do. So it was just something, anything I could think of to try entrepreneurship um, and start a brand that I felt would be successful. So I realized fairly quickly and said, I, I really hated baking. <laughs> um, but I ran the business for about a year and a half before uh, I pivoted from that one as well. But it was an amazing start. And it just pushed me out to get, you know, when people ask me the hardest part of, you know, traveling, starting all these businesses, doing, you know, I've done a lot of crazy things over the last four or five years. The hardest part of all of it was leaving Pepsi, leaving that prestigious, you know, mm-hmm. high paying, stable job that I was hanging out with celebrities and managing music videos. You know, it was, a, it was a seemingly wonderful thing. And the hardest part was telling people that I quit my job to make brownies all day. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that was the pip, the biggest pivot and the first yeah. one. And I can totally relate to that even with my own life. Yeah. I used to work at a hospital in this transplant lab, like the biggest one in our area. Mm-hmm. And it was such a big shift for me to say, I'm not that identity anymore. Yes. It was yeah, like, yeah. That, I didn't realize how much it was like inside of me that I yeah. presented first, but I work here. And I'm like, yes. I don't go anymore. Yeah. 
Yeah. I did this, uh, can a hundred percent relate to that. And I think that's, it holds so many people back and it's something we don't even realize. And especially in the U S when you think about our society compared to a lot of other places I've traveled in the world, when you meet someone in the U S I don't think we mean to do it, but it's like, hi, how are you? What do you do? And it's, it really is our identity. And I didn't realize how much of my identity was wrapped in, uh, hi, I'm Marissa. I work for Pepsi. And it was just easy. People knew the brand. It was, you know, I didn't have to explain what I was doing. And when I left that, uh, I did not realize how much it impacted my identity. And when people would ask, what do you do? Once I started to quit my job and started this business, my answer would always be, well, I used to work for Pepsi, but now like da, da, da. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a real, real honest struggle that a lot of people, it holds a lot of people back. Yeah. And even you just saying that, like, I did that all the time, all the yeah. time. Well, I used to work. Yeah. That gave me some extra clout. Like I Exactly. Was, you know? It's like yeah. our prestige that, that comes. And, and something I actually really love about traveling and the people that I meet during my travels mm-hmm. is that it's never the start of the conversation. It's who are you? What are you up to? Where'd you come from? Where have you been traveling? What do you, you know, what excites you? It's this whole different conversation it's really flipped from what we're used to talking about in the U S and it's really helped me to take a step back and, and not care about that as much and really focus on just what brings me joy and how I'm serving other people. That's awesome. That's really, really yeah. Cool. So how do you, I, I'm going to look up this four hour work week, like for sure. Yes. yes. Like, Hey, Hey, what, what are some things that you took from that? That like, how, how did you implement that? I guess. Yeah, I highly recommend The 4-Hour Workweek. It's by Tim Ferriss. And it's funny, it was written, um, I want to say it was over a decade ago now. I don't know why 2004 is coming to my head. Maybe I made that up. But it was written many years ago. And he talks a lot, you know, he still um, hosts a podcast and does a lot. And he always says that, you know, a lot of the things from it are actually a little bit dated because of all the new technology and things that we have. It's very uh, tactical, like things you can implement, but he won't rewrite it because it's such a golden book that has impacted so many people. And he always says, I'm afraid to change anything because maybe it will lose its magic. But what I took from it, um, and it it is very, I like it. It's very tactical because it makes you think of, uh, you know, what would be your idea? How can you test your idea and, and really think about it? But for me, the main takeaway was, and I guess maybe in 2014, it was even more novel of an idea that you can work from a laptop from absolutely anywhere. Uh, you don't need to be in an office. You don't need to be in a place. And not only that, uh, I haven't quite managed to get to the four hours a week yet. Um, but his whole point is how do you outsource absolutely everything that you can? Um, so for me in the business that I do, I think it's I feel like it's important to show up as me as a human and do some things. But I think about ex- um, uh, outsourcing everything. So when I first set up my dessert business, that first one that I launched, um, again, I could have, and old me probably would have said, there needs to be a restaurant. People in Atlanta want to congregate like they used to. And I had, um, my mom's old clients would were literally calling and emailing me every day saying, is this the place? Like, when are you opening it back up? We love to go there. It was our after school, it was our date night. It was our this, that, and the other. And I was like, I want to give the people what they want. Yeah. Um, but I had Tim Ferriss in the back of my head thinking, you know, that's not outsourced. That's not automated. And so as I start, you know, when I started the business and often when you start something, you end up doing a little bit of everything yeah. as it gets going. Yeah. Uh, but once it got big enough with enough orders, I actually outsourced all the baking, which my mom and I did all of to start. Um, to a company that was 30 minutes outside of Atlanta that created cinnamon rolls. And they then did 
all of the baking. They were better at it because they, you know, had all the better equipment and, and all of that. But um, yeah, it was how do you how do you focus on what only you are capable of and good at? And then how do you outsource everything else so that you can be completely remote and focus on the things that you know you can check on and, and you can enjoy and empower other people to do the other parts of your business? That's really awesome and really great advice. And actually it's something that we not we, but I actually was talking with someone prior to you on another interview, we were talking about our zone of genius. Like, yes, I love that your zone of genius. Yes. And, and like knowing that you have to ask for help. Yeah. And other people that's their zone and they'll take you even further if you can. Yeah. I think what's, um, I love, uh, and that's from starts with why, right? I think yeah. is a, the talk about Zen of Juice, mm-hmm. one of my favorite books that I absolutely recommend to you. I always say start with a four hour work week if you need an huh? idea, but then um, or do starts with why by Simon Sinek to understand what your mission is. But um, yeah, when you think about the zone of genius, something that I've struggled with as an entrepreneur and I really lately am trying to focus on is that other people may never do every part of your business as well as you would. Mm-hmm. Some people will do those parts better than you would. Um, but when you, when you talk about your zone of genius, it is what, you know, what is your best use of time? What brings you the joy? What excites you? What is that unique thing that really, truly only you can do in your business? And even if there's things that you could do, you know, if, some, if you hire someone else and they're going to do it 80% better, it's really hard to let go of that control. But you're working outside of your zone of genius. So if you hire someone else to do it, you can really stick to what is uniquely and, you know, gives you that competitive advantage. And, and I have to take my own advice here too. It's, it's definitely still something that I work on outsourcing all those other parts, but it really, really makes an impact. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you've, you had your place in, in Atlanta making brownies. Yeah. How is it? that you are now all over the world. Like what happened? <laughs> yeah. So when I was doing that, I did set that up. I thought that would be the business that I would be running remotely mm-hmm. and traveling the world. Cause I had that vision in mind of, I want to travel the world while I do it. Um, I quickly found that I was only taking, I was, I was started outsourcing the business, but I would only leave for a week or two or maybe three weeks at a time, pretty much only one or two weeks then. Um, and really only going when I had friends or family or someone who would travel with me. Uh, I've done solo traveling in my life. I just did a solo trip through Egypt and Jordan and some other places, but I prefer, I just, I'm a very social extroverted person and I like traveling with friends. And so, um, I quickly realized that I wanted to travel the world with other people. So I joined a, um, it's a company called Wi-Fi tribe and I travel with them. Uh, so they have places basically set up a month at a time with other people who are digital nomads and all working remotely too. So it's like mm-hmm. this date to this date, you all arrive, your home is set up, you're with amazing, amazing other people. So that's mostly how I travel. Um, I'll then kind of take some of those people and do some solo traveling or, you know, get a couple of people and go elsewhere. Yep. Um, but that's the traveling side. Uh, I'm no longer running the dessert business. I've pivoted mm-hmm. two or three or four times since then. Um, mm-hmm what I'm running now. But from there, I actually learned about online courses and I actually launched a business helping parents in the U S with college admissions. This business still exists. Um, Mm -hmm. but as I, this is where I love, uh, and really teach the pivot. Uh, 
for me, as I look back on my own, um, you know, I'm a, a certified life coach now and mm-hmm. am a medium as in speaking with people who are no longer alive, which mm-hmm. um, is, is a whole nother story. And, you know, both of those things I never would have imagined I'd be doing, especially while remote and traveling the world. But as I look back, it's, um, you know, each one of these businesses or journeys that I took led me to the next one. And if I never left Pepsi and I'd never started that dessert business, you know, I don't regret it, even though it was a ton, a ton of work and setup that I closed. Mm-hmm. But when I was running that business, I actually learned, I was trying to grow my email list, which is you yeah. know the number one way people, entrepreneurs grow their businesses. I was doing that for my dessert business. And um, I saw a Facebook ad that said, you know, how to grow your email list. So I clicked on it and it, it turned out that it was a uh, a whole webinar about online courses. And I learned that you could monetize information that you knew and sell that. And it didn't involve baking and it didn't involve UPS shipments that got lost in the mail sometimes or were late. Mm-hmm. And um, so while I was running the dessert business, my, I had a side hustle for my own business, uh, yeah. building out this business to help families with college admissions. And that was really the one I started, I was running, um, I closed the dessert business once that was big enough yeah. and spent that time to start in my, uh, this is about two years ago, uh-huh. running um, that while I was traveling and, and traveling is what taught me about coaching and that I was, you know, helping all these people and, and so on. So I can talk about those pivots to you, but that was kind of how my uh, international business journey got started. That's so cool. Tell me more. Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. I know. On, this is awesome. lots, lots of pivots and weird stories. Yeah. So I was running. Okay. So this, and this business still exists. It's, it's uh, again, Tim Ferriss style, very mm-hmm. automated, um, more so than the dessert one even. Um, but yeah, so as I was running that one, I, like I said, was living, um, this is when I was in Bali, which was mm-hmm. like the stereotypical first place to start, <laughs> but I really wanted to go to Southeast Asia and I ended up traveling for four months over 10 countries. And, um, I was with this group of people from Wi-Fi tribe, as I mentioned in Bali. And, uh, I was really helping a lot of the people in that group. And also these random strangers that I was meeting in planes and buses and trains, all, you know, all along the way. Um, helping them with a lot that I had recently gone through. So as a coach, I say you often end up helping a past version of yourself, no matter what business you're running. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was helping people figure, you know, quit careers, figure out what careers they wanted to start, what really excited them. I was helping them with relationships. Should they be in that relationship? Should they not? All these things that I had been through. And I had always done this, uh, with friends, but I just assumed that's what friends did. I didn't realize that it was the special gift more so than I think the average person. And it really, you know, getting outside my comfort zone in Asia, across the world and traveling, meeting all of these new people. And often, you know, almost every day I had someone telling me this, this big deep work thing that they would say, I've, I don't know why I'm telling you this. I've, I've never told you this to anybody and I would help them in these amazing ways. And it really took these strangers to hold a mirror to myself to realize that this was a special gift that I had. And, um, I would say two, maybe three months into this journey in Asia, I was in the Philippines with a friend and I remember deciding, you know, I had so many people say, are you a life coach? Like, will you be my life coach? And yeah. it just made me realize, okay, I guess you know, here we go. We're pivoting again. I thought I thought I had the thing, but I got to keep following this. Um, and that's, that's really the biggest lesson I've learned away. It's like when you have those things that just are in your face and calling you and exciting you and you realize you're your this was my zone of genius. Uh, I had to follow it. So I got a coaching certification and 
for the past uh, two years or so, I've been doing one-on-one coaching. Um, my, my niche is starting with helping people who are in jobs that they don't quite love, but they aren't quite sure what that next step is. You know, what is their zone of genius? What is that grander purpose that they have? Or do they even have one? And what are the next steps? And a lot of people I coach also want to work remotely and travel the world and all of that because that's the life that I'm living. But that was, yeah, that was the next biggest thing. And under that is a lot of deeper emotional work, which is really my, my true joy is helping people through all of this mindset work that I'd been binging podcasts and reading all these self-development books since I left that relationship and quit my job and was a hot mess and figuring out life for myself. And now I basically get paid to really share all of that information that I'm learning and the, um, all of the, the, again, the mindset work, that emotional work, figuring out our zone of genius and that joy and how to help people find that for themselves and all the exercises along the way. So there's one more pivot after that. And I'm kind of combining a lot of the world, but that that's how I started the coaching world. Yeah. That's awesome. And that's really similar to how I became a coach as well. Like for me, it was a big, um, like a revelation to realize that the thing that I'm good at doesn't have to be hard. Like I didn't realize it felt like so naturally. Oh, it doesn't have to be hard. Yeah. Yeah. That is such an important thing to notice. I think, again, in the U.S. especially, but all over the world, uh, we've been somehow taught to think that we have to suffer at work and work has to be miserable. And, you know, when I live in New York, I think back especially where people are really proud of, you know, it's like I've been working 20 hours today and I haven't slept in three weeks and it's exhausting and my boss is this and that. And that was the norm, right? And that's what a lot of people in our world think, you know, it has to be hard. Work has to be hard. You have to suffer. There's something about this suffering that we have equated to, you know, exchange for money. And what you're saying is so important because what I help people figure out is, you know, there's always going to be tasks or things that maybe aren't the most fun with any job. But when you're working in your zone of genius and when you are really, you know, doing the work, I say quote unquote work that you're meant to be doing, it should feel fun and it feel exciting. And you, you know, I think what I love to help people realize is that you can absolutely get paid or create a product that you can monetize, whether that's information or a physical product or software or whatever mm-hmm. that monetizes what you love. And it's this whole new way of thinking that I was not aware of back in my corporate days. Right. I think a lot of us, a lot of us. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about the next pivot. Yeah. So this last pivot, maybe it'll be my, I keep thinking, I'm like, please be my last one, but, um, we'll, we'll always keep pivoting. I'll, I'll always keep pivoting. Um, for my last one, as I was studying again, just obsessed and again, my joy, what I love is talking about that self-development and mindset, but the other 50% of what I really love is talking about this world that, um, a lot of people, I would say, you know, some people are believers, some people are not, totally cool either way. Um, so my mom growing up was always into the spiritual world of past lives and crystals and psychics and mediums. And she would always talk about, uh, you know, feeling spirits in the room or her own past lives. And growing up, I never had my own personal experiences, but I always believed in it and believed that she did. And when I came back to Atlanta, I was going to a lot of sessions with her, um, visiting mediums and psychics and 
uh, I just became really fascinated because I started seeing this link between all of the business um, books and podcasts that I was reading and listening to and this world of energy and law of attraction and quantum physics and crystals and, uh-huh. and, and all of these things. So I started reading and learning a lot about it. And as I did this, um, I totally accidentally learned that I actually had a gift of doing this as well, which makes sense as I believe it somewhat runs in the family. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I now discovered that I was a medium. Um, I communicate with people who are, are no longer alive mm-hmm. and I do it all through writing. So for me, um, I have a website that people submit a photo and a list of questions that they wish to ask someone who's passed on. And it comes out, I don't speak it. I don't see ghosts or things like yeah. that, but I, um, do this all through what I call my letters. So it's a letter from someone who's passed on to someone who is still alive answering these questions. And again, the first couple happened as an accident as I was journaling. I do a lot of journaling just for like emotional release. Uh-huh. And I thought I was insane <laughs> when it first started as well. And to be honest, I still am, am learning about this whole world. And I think there's no way to know if it's real or it's not, but I keep doing it as letters that I was writing for people and I did a bunch of tests for free to yeah. start before I pivoted as a real business. Yeah. But I would write these letters for people and I tested it doing it for you know, people who I did not know. I didn't know the people who had passed on. And every single one, um, every single person would call me basically saying, first saying, I'll call you soon. I've been sitting here crying for 30 minutes as I'm reading this letter over and over and over and over again. And, um, everything they said was, you know, I don't know how you knew these things. Um, it's, you know, it sounded just like them, or I can't believe you knew this information and mm-hmm. really ultimately how helpful and healing it was for them. It was closure or just feeling like they were still connected to the person who they'd lost. Mm-hmm. And so when I talk about, you know, Simon Sinek back to, you know, my own zone of genius and my greater mission is really to heal people. I believe that there's so much suffering, both physically and emotionally in this world and both the coaching and the medium work that I do, whether it's helping you find alignment in your career or figuring out your relationship or communicating with someone who is no longer alive or just, you know, getting out of your own mental stress in your head and finding ways to find more joy in life. uh, I think that heals people. And so now I'm really starting to merge my worlds for people who are into this to do um, again, that, the coaching, the medium letters, both of these, and I'm pivoting. I'll, I'll do some more group coaching for people who want to learn about this and all of that. But that's my, that's my latest where I am. Who knows where I'll be in a, a year or two. But I think I have this now, right, this umbrella of this, like that's my mission. And I don't think that will change is to help heal people. And the execution will continue to grow and, and pivot as I learn and, and I expand as well. This has been so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So you're really incredible. Really. Oh, thank you. It's been a a bizarre and up and up and down and and scary world, but yeah, just kind of pushing through any fears that come up and, and this, yeah, traveling the world while I do it. That's, that's my other joy is, is really traveling and getting out and seeing the world and, and meeting people from absolutely everywhere. Yeah. It's just really cool to see how, how much you trust yourself and listen to your intuition and act on that. That's really, it's really commendable. It's really awesome. Oh, thank you. And it's hard. I think, you know, as I, I love that you bring up, um, I love that you bring that up and listening to your intuition. I think a lot of us, and if you'd asked me five years ago and, um, a lot of people have lost touch with that. I think it's something that every it's built into every one of us. And a lot of the coaching that I actually do is 
teaching people how to listen to their intuition. And it's, it's different. There's this, I call it the ego versus the intuition. The ego is that, that chatter, that voice in your head mm-hmm. that is scared and wants to keep you safe and wants to keep you in your job and in your relationship and in your home and your country and, you know, wherever. And there's an inner voice. And, and again, I'm not saying everybody needs to travel the world and go talk to dead people. Um, everybody has their own path and your intuition will lead you there. And a lot of the coaching that I do is helping people, helping people to get in touch with their intuition and actually learn what is that voice of fear that, you're, that is holding you back and what is it that you really want to pursue and that will bring you joy in life and that's going to lead you who knows where. That's the scary part as you've as I look back, there's the Steve Jobs quote, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. Yeah. I believe your intuition kind of has that vision that helps you take all the steps that are going to lead you wherever it is that you go. That is awesome. So awesome. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> um, if you could give someone one piece, you've given us a lot. But I'm going to guess for another. If you could give yeah. us one piece of advice, what would that be? I would say to do whatever excites you, to follow that. Um, I've talked, you know, that's, that's kind of been woven throughout, you know, all of these stories and even the, the most recent, you know, listening to your intuition and all of that. But I think that a lot of us get stuck in just, again, doing what's safe. And we, if we don't know this perfect plan and vision of what is, what is that thing that I'm meant to be doing in life? And if I don't know it, I'm just going to sit right here where I am. And a lot of people never leave that, I think, for their whole lives. And so my greatest advice would be whatever excites you, whether that's, you know, walking down the street, whether that's talking to a certain friend, whether that's signing up for an online course, talking to a coach, reading specific books, you know, whatever that, whatever you are drawn to for reasons that you may not know or understand, or you can't predict what will happen, follow that because that might be your thing, or it might be a dot along the way that leads you somewhere else. But I think that's the best way to start listening to your intuition is follow those good feelings, following what brings you joy and following just what excites you and makes you curious. That is awesome. Oh, Marissa, thank you. Uh, you are so welcome, Thea. <laughs> um, how can someone contact you and learn more? Yeah, definitely. So um, there's a couple different ways. If you want to follow just my travel life, uh, send me a DM, whatever. I'm on Instagram at mlmedin. So it's M-L-M-E-D-D as in Delta I-N. Um, that's one way. Just That's really just my travel life. And, and yeah, I'm quarantined in Atlanta right now with coronavirus, but I hope one day I can travel again. Um, but other than that, there are, I guess, two different ways. If you're interested in either the coaching or the mediumship side, you can go to um, marissamedin.com slash pivot. That's the coaching world. So that will give you, if you are kind of in a place where you aren't sure what to do in your own life with your career and questions, it has a list of questions there that you can download and then kind of come into my world that way. If you are happen to be interested in the medium side and all of that, I know that's different, but you can go to marissamedium.com slash pusherpivot and enter your email to uh, view a sample letter that I've written for someone and see just what that looks like and what it's all about if that so yeah a couple different places to find me well thank you so so much for being on here and i can't wait to listen to this again so i know everyone's oh wonderful it was such a pleasure talking to you and yeah i look forward to anyone who wants to reach out to to come into my world and i look forward to staying in touch with you 
What did you take away from Marissa's story? What excites you? I'm Thea Charles, and I hope you gained insight from this story. If you'd like to learn more about the Push or Pivot podcast, visit us on Instagram at Push or Pivot or on the web at pusherpivot.com. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and join me next time on the Push or Pivot podcast.